0: Welcome back to the Midfield Politics Podcast. My name is Luke James and I'm joined across the Smashbox by none other than Zach Green. On today's episode of the show, Zach and I are going to be discussing a recent announcement by the Prime Minister Boris Johnson that the unlocking date here in England has been pushed back until July. Also coming up on the show, Zach and I will be discussing the launch of a new tv station here in the united kingdom gb news zach and i will be talking over our first impressions of andrew neil's new news channel but before all of that zach what has caught your attention over the past seven days
1: well what's caught my attention has been actually what's happened over the past week at the g7 summit so uh the leaders of the g7 all meeting in cornwall actually um was originally supposed to be a big showdown on climate and a big uh, agreement on how to tackle the climate crisis. Predictably, it's turned into a bit of a bit of a mess about Brexit and also a diplomatic row between uh, France and the UK. Uh, Emmanuel Macron and Boris Johnson, and the small case of I think Boris Johnson was um, pouring himself a wine that uh, Emmanuel Macron brought to the G7 and made a quip about it tastes about the place as old as the last time the French won a battle at sea and I'm thinking it's just typical Boris Johnson it's typical what happens on a summit
0: yeah I mean I often find it quite difficult to especially in the G7 that we've just had in Cornwall find it quite difficult to point to something and say yeah that's particularly significant yeah that that's something that's important that's something that we should hold on to I think coming out of this summit some of the more important things was the imagery. So for example, there wasn't a lot of social distancing going on amongst the world leaders. And I think that that's something that has upset people on, on social media this week, you would have seen the hashtag I'm done, which was in response to kind of the news that lo- that the unlocking in the United Kingdom, or at least in England rather would be delayed. And um, people were upset about that. I think that was important imagery because it kind of painted a slightly contradictory image about kind of the world leaders and their relationship with their constituents. The other thing that, well, there were a couple of things that caught my mind in terms of the G7. One of the other ones was at the very start of, of, of the meeting when Boris Johnson arrived in Cornwall by air, he took a private jet from, from presumably London to Cornwall that for a climate summit, or at least a a G7 meeting that was meant to be used to discuss climate change Struck me as a little bit of a strange decision, especially when you come to realise that Downing Street or rather one of the departments in Whitehall paid or rather chartered out a, a train to take the journalist down to Cornwall. Of course, the journalist then paid them back for the train, but it just meant they could all get the same train together. It would have made sense maybe if they just hatched on an additional carriage and and sent the Prime Minister's party along with them, although perhaps that would have left Mr Johnson somewhat too close to the media for his liking. The other thing that caught my attention from the G7 was a news article that came out regarding President Joe Biden, this uh, kind of comments allegedly made by Canadian Prime Minister, um, Justin Trudeau, who said, or rather, it is reported that he said that he expects Joe Biden to step down, I believe, in 2022 or 2023, which, of course, is particularly significant given the situation in the United States with Biden. Will he run a second? Will he run for a second term? Won't he run for a second term? What does this mean for Vice President Kamala Harris? Who knows? What will this mean for the Republican race? Of course, the primary election already kind of building up towards that. Donald Trump, former president, is already the front runner there. But will anyone else, maybe someone like Marco Rubio, for example, be able to break through before kind of 2023, 2024 comes around? Zach, any thoughts on any of the things I've just went through before we get into the main topic of today's show.
1: Uh, for me on the Harris uh, rumour, it, it seems significant in that the timing around 2022, 2023 could coincide with both elections in the US, the midterms and the election that could be happening here in 2023. It's something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, also in American politics, how will the Democrat Party respond uh, towards that kind of arbitrary date? And I mean, it's just rumours at this stage, but it's still significant nonetheless to see how the Biden presidency is going to go on in wake of it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think this kind of speculation is something that we're going to be seeing an awful lot over the next kind of, I, I, was, I was going to say days and weeks, but more kind of months and years regarding President Joe Biden. I think it's very obvious that we're going to have these kind of discussions about him from now into, until he Decides, or at least announces, whether he will run in twenty twenty four. For the record, I don't expect he will. I don't. I don't think Joe Biden will, will look to stay on as as president for a second term. Will he be convinced otherwise? Who knows? Um, but I honestly think that the plan is probably for Joe Biden to step down after his first term. Now, Zach, it's been a hot topic over recent days. Of course, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Alongside his scientific advisors last night, went to Downing Street's press room and announced that lockdown in. Uh, I, I keep committing the, the cardinal sin of, of discussing politics that I really hate at the minute. When I say lockdown, I mean the easing of restrictions, the date at which the restrictions in England will be eased, has been pushed back. First of all, Zach, for people who didn't catch the news, what did the prime minister announce yesterday?
1: So essentially that the great unlocking, that final step on June 21st, otherwise known as uh, Freedom Day, has now been pushed towards July the 19th. So that's the big headline from Boris Johnson's announcement. Um, Of course, as we're about to discuss, that could go back further, or I think Boris Johnson did say that there is the potential for in two weeks time after June 21st that we could see that final unlocking. But it's more likely that The terminus date, in his words, would be July the
0: 19th. Yeah, so July the 19th is the new, as GB News is is calling it, Freedom Day, where kind of all the restrictions will be lifted. As a result of this, it means that the Euro 2020 final that we held at Wembley Stadium on the 11th of July will have approximately 40,000 people there. It will be half capacity. As a result, that means that the Wimbledon finals, the men's, women's and doubles finals will be held with for with a full audience. That will be the first sporting event in the United Kingdom since March to have a full audience. Of course, I did joke to Zach yesterday. I'm not even sure I was entirely joking. I said uh, said to Zach yesterday, well, what happens is they have to pull the roof across because then surely the Wimbledon final becomes an indoor event. And then it gets very complicated about how many people you can have inside. So. The bottom line, Zach, is that the date at which the restrictions regarding the coronavirus in England will be removed has been pushed back by four weeks. Now, the reason this is the case is because the government is concerned about the Delta variant, which was formerly known as the Indian variant variant of the coronavirus. Now, the reason why government and their advisors are so worried about this is because of an exponential growth in the cases of the Delta, vi- of the Delta variant in the United Kingdom. As a result, what we're also seeing at the same time is that the number of the Kent variant, which is the B19 something variant, we're just going to call it the Kent variant for, for the sake of ease, um, has fallen sharply. So now the United Kingdom, most cases are Delta rather than Kent what does this mean and, and what should we take from this? Well, one line of argument, and I think it's the line of argument that I subscribe to, is that this situation got out of hand because the Prime Minister was too late to add India to the red list. This is something that, that Michael Gove, the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, was asked about this morning on BBC Breakfast. He refuted those claims, saying that they just followed the, the scientific advice at the time regarding Kind of the the question was regarding India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Why were those countries treated differently when India, a country that Boris Johnson's administration was hoping to sign a trade deal with, had a worse coronavirus situation at the time than the other two countries I have just mentioned? So, Zach, there are lots of uh, political footballs. In the air at the moment. There are lots of arguments about this. The government is saying, look, we, we were simply following the science. There's nothing else we could have done. How could we have possibly foreseen this situation? Um, I would say the opposition are saying other things. I think Jonathan Ashworth was critical of the government yesterday. He's a member of the Shadow Cabinet. Although it, the Labour Party has fallen behind the government in supporting an extension or rather a pushing back of the unlocking date so the question to you Zach is what do you make of this whole situation is this the government failing to make the most of the advantages that the vaccine rollout was meant to kind of provide the country because of course the idea with the vaccine was well the faster we vaccinate people in the UK the quicker that we can have freedom Day and we can do all the things that we want to do like have 90,000 people watch a football match at Wembley or go to a nightclub or Et cetera, et cetera. whatever floats your boat, whatever you want to do that you currently can't do. The quicker we vaccinate, the quicker you can do those things. Has the government messed this up once again?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, there was a, a head of the PM's um, press conference. I think it was Nick Bolts who said if he was there, the question he'd ask Boris Johnson would be: France and Germany have been able to slow the infection rate of the delta variant that's ripping through uh, this country at the moment as well but they had a much slower vaccine rollout and his question to the prime minister would have been can you explain why is why is this the case because you know we've had an extra uh, vaccine rollout well over virtually all our vulnerable groups have been either fully vaccinated or at least partly vaccinated i mean we're still waiting for our notification Uh, I believe it's within the next fortnight we're going to get that uh, notification that we can finally book our appointment. Um, So, yes, I do think they have messed it up. And there were reports, uh, I think it was last night, that ministers were aware of the Delta variant from from April. And they were 22 days late now. This is a running theme of the government, that they do respond to things, although they still do it, but they do respond to it way too late now in this case in india at the time back in april may you were seeing nearly up to 3000 deaths a day it was a it was a horrible scenes in india and for the government not to do anything to not put india on the red list straight away seems to me uh, to be um, a critical error now sadly of course pushing it back four weeks with a still everything virtually that's why we can't call it lockdown anymore because we can do a lot of, lots of things that we couldn't do probably this time last year you know we can go to the pub we can go outside we can go into shops uh, gyms etc etc the the point is we can't obviously abandon social distancing can't uh, not wear the mask anymore etc etc and that final unlocking for me seems to be classified as well if there's loads of cases we have to delay it Yet in four weeks' time, I don't, don't think this problem is going to go away. I think, if anything, the cases are going to go up. So we were talking about political footballs. These political footballs really aren't going to be scoring any goals because the goalposts goal keep getting moved. So for me, it's just a bit confusing. I think a lot of people are a bit confused to how the government will come to a decision in four weeks' time rather to complete this grand unlocking because the statistics are very likely to be a lot worse than what they are at the moment.
0: I think that's a major point of contention there. The, the, the thing that people are most worried about, at least the point that Zach's getting at, is that even the government has conceded this moreover, is that by the time we get to mid-July, the 19th of July, cases will likely be higher than they are now just because people will be doing more things. And as we noted at the top of the show, this Delta variant is spreading very quickly in the UK, spreading more more quickly than it is. In France and Germany, for example, I just wanted to read out some comments from the press conference earlier this week. This is kind of from Mr. Boris Johnson. He said we will monitor the position every day. And if after two weeks we've concluded that the risk has diminished, then we reserve the possibility of proceeding to step four and a full opening sooner. The prime minister said at Downing Street at a certain stage. We are going to have to learn to live with the virus and to manage as best we can. Later on um, in the day, and this was while addressing MPs in the House of Commons, Health Secretary Matt Hancock said the decision not to ease restrictions next week was being made with a heavy heart, but that the government's four tests for easing restrictions, one of which was that the risks are not fundamentally changed by new variants, had not been met. He said that extra testing facilities and access to vaccines would be rolled out in more areas of the country, while vaccinations would be open, would be opened up on Tuesday in England to people aged 23 to 24. Um, Earlier today, I I should say we're recording this episode on Tuesday, the 15th of June. The time currently is one minute to four. So not too long until the next game of the European Championships. Earlier today, the Politics for All Twitter account reported that under 18s or rather, people aged 18 and above would be able to request a vaccine from kind of the end of this week. So so things on that front do look like they're moving more quickly. Now, the important thing to note is that some things are changing on the 21st of June still. So. The number of guests allowed at weddings and wakes will no longer be limited to 30. You can have as many as you like, as long as venues adhere to social distancing policies and the hosts also file a risk assessment. Table service will be required and no indoor dance floors will be allowed at those events. Also important to note, I think this is probably the more significant change that we're going to have on the 21st of June. Of course, there aren't many changes, but this one is, is slightly more significant. So care home residents will no longer have to isolate for 14 days after returning from visits outside. There will be exceptions to this rule, kind of if, if you make a high risk trip, such as an overnight stay to a hospital, then you will still be required to isolate for 14 days at the care home. Otherwise, you, you'll you be able to just integrate back into back into the usual routine wherever you or a loved one is living. The delay kind of to the broader reopening means limits on how many people can meet with groups of up to 30 allowed to meet outdoors and up to six or two households allowed indoors. That is staying the same. The 15 pilot events during the European Championships in Wimbledon, for example, are still going ahead. But attendees or have to show proof of vaccination or a recent negative coronavirus test. Now, speaking to Zachary earlier in the week, and I think even in the last episode of the podcast, I think my view has changed a little bit. I think previously, and I'm not so sure I would have conveyed this view on on the show, but I definitely was of the opinion that, well, four weeks isn't too bad. We've been through this now for what? 15 months that the pandemic has been going on, I think we'll be able to cope before weeks. But there are businesses across the country who have staked their futures on being able to, to open up soon. Like It's important to remember that the 21st of June is, is about a week away. It's quite late in the day to, to be changing plans with that. I mean, people have booked holidays and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, the government hasn't given much notice. And if If they're going to do two weeks instead of four weeks, as Boris Johnson speculated that they might in terms of pushing the restrictions back, then that gives people even less notice. So I don't think the government has handled this well. And I'm starting to come around to the opinion that. Well, what is going to change in the next month, because if the prime minister is talking about how we're going to have to learn to live with the virus at some point, that makes me think that he's not going to be willing to live with the virus this time next month. And then the question comes, well, how long is this going to go on for and why has the plan been delayed so much? And I I personally don't want to make a point to say that I think lockdown should be uh, (sighs) restrictions should be lifted earlier than the government is saying. That's not my argument, because I'm not a scientist and I frankly aren't completely clued up on the discussions. But what I would say is that the longer this goes on, the more annoyed at the government I will get, because the government promised... That they would deliver by a certain date although they did say at the time the soonest would be the 21st of June but even so they led people to believe that that this would be over relatively soon and at this point in time it doesn't look to be the case so Zach how are you feeling about all this
1: I mean I agree I, I think p- essentially back in Fe- I think it was, was it the 19th or the 22nd of February the June 21st date was kind of touted about and it was this kind of big countdown towards this day and like you said a lot of businesses have staked a lot of capital and a lot of their futures on this date and to some people it may only be four more weeks but for these businesses I personally don't think they can survive four more weeks and it's this trade-off that you know a year or so ago with with the bigger harsher lockdown yes it was definitely right because people were dying in their hundreds um, cases were in there, you know tens of thousands and the nhs was at risk of being completely overwhelmed so this is not about because i think a lot of people are beginning to co opt this kind of idea that because we're against um delaying for four weeks it means that all the other lockdowns don't work which is a very dangerous thing to say but the problem is like i think in a month's time the statistics aren't going to be a lot better if if anything they're nailed on to be quite worse because let's face it's really nice weather people are going to be going out a lot more people can do a lot more as we just said about you know going into restaurants pubs gyms etc so the goalpost shifting as well kind of erodes that trust and it's it's really consequential in terms of at what point can we say for sure it will definitely be lifted because it could be by i don't know july the july the 10th for example so nine days before the lifting there's another variant and all of a sudden the government may have to factor that in their in their plans and a lot of people are beginning to run out of patience with the idea that people go Where, where's the next variant going to come from etc etc etc. So yes I, I, I'm particularly annoyed in terms of it, it does feel like we were promised something and it's not been delivered and it's the idea that it's all conditional it's all, all it's kind of it was in the small print rather than how the government were touting out their vaccine rollout because it was an excellent vaccine rollout to to deliver this June the 21st date. Now it's July the 19th. And it just erodes trust in whatever the government do. A lot of people are saying this is the final straw in so terms of trust in the government or some people would be, I think what was the hashtag you said it was? I'm done. <laughs> seeing that I'm done being everywhere now is it it's boiling up in this tension towards the government We're seeing protests outside number 10 i'm i'm sure they'll continue beyond june the 21st and even up to july the 19th so i think it's a really inconvenient delay of course i think i'd rather be in my position of i'm just a bit annoyed i can't go out to the clubs etc rather than business owners who may lose their business or people may lose their jobs because of the delay but still it's it's that idea that we are living with the virus we're now living it with it in terms of we're still more conditions than i think even Theresa may was saying than than we need so <laughs> it's it's not a good position to be in hopefully it's the last one uh, but it's this one last heave what if this heave is a half heave and come july the 18th when boris johnson has to do another address oh by the way that was just half a heave, we just need one more big push. It's how long does it go on for? And ministers are really concerned. I think I was reading a Telegraph report that it could end up that July the 19th might be where the vaccination's gone quite well, but it probably needs about two more weeks to factor in, which could take us into August. And then we come into August and it's this perpetual state of this question, will they, won't they, which is obviously not good for business. It's probably not good for livelihoods. And yes, so all in all, it's a really tough position to be in.
0: It is. Um, And having a look over at what the opposition is saying about this. So Labour's shadow health secretary, Jonathan Ashworth, said the public have been let down by ministerial incompetence and indecision. He said the only reason this delay is being introduced is because the Conservatives failed to secure the country's borders and a new variant from overseas was allowed to take hold and found to put put in measures like proper sick pay support and surge vaccinations when needed. I find it very hard to refute anything that the Shadow Health Secretary said there, to be completely honest, and I'm not sure why this messaging isn't being kind of core to what the Labour Party is saying at the minute. To be honest, I can't remember the last time I really heard from Keir Starmer. In all honesty, I I honestly can't remember the last time I heard from Keir Starmer on an issue like this. I think I saw something about him being against booing the knee a couple of days ago, Um, but he's been relatively quiet. And I think that isn't ideal for the leader of the opposition. So... Zach do you agree with Jonathan Ashworth's analysis here? Is this simply a case of, of ministerial incompetence, and if so, why has the incompetence occurred?
1: I think so. I think th- this this occasion has been the link between the delta essentially the delta variant is the inverted cause of this delay because the delta variant has ripped through the country it's I think it counts for well over seventy percent of the cases. Uh, We're having 7,000 cases a day, which is the highest since February. And there is a link between really that failure to put India on the red list at the time when there were 3,000 deaths a day to what's happened three weeks later when probably the virus already started to ramp up across this country. So, yes, I'd say there's a lot of incompetence here. And if anything, it's also incompetence with messaging as well, that Again, like you say, to come out one week or a few days before the great unlocking to then say, oh, by the way, we're delaying it by four weeks. Again, it's when the numbers weren't looking good around a fortnight ago and there was still there's not, no decision yet to be made. Well, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of businesses who do depend on these decisions and to keep delaying the delay is a bit incompetent in itself. So all in all, I think, yes, government, government incompetence is the, probably the majority cause of this delay. And who knows what will be the cause in a few more weeks if the government gets it wrong again. I think that's what people are beginning to stake their uh, hopes on now. Hopefully the government <clears throat> will cock it up again, which is a really depressing state of affairs for, for this country.
0: Yeah. I think the thing that worries me about the situation that we're in now is that the government isn't introducing any new restrictions. The government, I'm not suggesting that I'd want them to introduce new restrictions, but hear me out just for a minute. Um, everything is either staying the same or getting a little bit less restricted in terms of what I mentioned earlier with care homes, weddings and wakes. So if there is already an exponential increase in Delta variant cases in the United Kingdom, Surely that, unless the government takes preventative actions, is going to continue. I mean, the only preventative action that the government is currently taking is by vaccinating more people. And the question is, will they be able to vaccinate enough people quickly enough, get second doses, get first doses out into the public in a way that slows the spread of this variant of the coronavirus that is currently Taking root in the United Kingdom. So the rising cases in the UK has been driven by the Delta variant, as we have discussed, which is believed to be around 60 percent more infectious than the previous dominant variant and twice as likely to result in hospital admissions on Monday. So that's yesterday at the time of recording. The UK has recorded seven thousand seven hundred and forty two new cases of COVID-19 and three deaths within 28 days of a positive test. The seven day average for cases in the UK is up 46% compared with seven days earlier plans for easing the coronavirus restrictions differ between each of the four nations. Of course, we've been discussing what's happening in England. We're expecting to hear from Scotland. I believe later this week reports on the BBC today suggest that there will also be a delay in Scotland. Likewise, we're going to hear from the first minister in Wales on the 25th of June, while indoor lit. Uh, Limits on indoor gatherings in Northern Ireland are scheduled to be relaxed on the 21st of June. That's that's the situation. And the thing that does concern me is is this: What does the government expect to change between now and and next month? Because they simply just need to hope and and really put everything into the vaccination. This is this is the only tool that the government now have have to to fort the virus because. As has been mentioned previously, and I think this is something that, that Andrew Neill said said on his his flagship opening show on GB News, which we'll be talking about next, um, said, well, it is obviously favourable for the government to pause rather than, than than reverse in terms of adding more restrictions. But I'm not sure if pausing is going to be enough. And if it isn't enough, as Zach has kind of alluded to and warned, well, then, are we going to have another delay and another delay and another delay? And, and where does that end? That's not necessarily what I think I will happen. What I think will happen, I think, hopefully, whether this is blind faith or not, I think you know, I suspect it might be. I really hope that this time next month, it does happen, and and we're pre- preparing for for Zach to go to the clubs and for me to continue to go to bed at half ten. Um, that would be nice, I guess. But who knows? And I think it's really important to remember. We're no longer as sensitive as we were previously to the failings of the government. I think that's pretty clear. I think when the government fails, we go, oh, it's an unprecedented situation. How could they have possibly done any better? Well, at this point in time, I think we need to expect the government to do better. And I think a reason why the government isn't coming in to kind of so much flack at this point in time is because people are just people have come to accept it and I think we're reaching a point where that acceptance is is definitely starting to wane. Zach any final thoughts before we move on to the second half of the show?
1: I'd say one thing about it this is all about political capital that we were talking about Keir Starmer just a few minutes ago we've not really heard much from him I think that's also part of the problem that we are accepting that the government make errors quite costly errors but well, we're also accepting the fact that the opposition don't really want to react to it or at least disagree from it. Every time the government comes out of a major proposal, Labour seems to be backing it. Now, I'm not saying for anything that Labour really should be opposing just because of what the, the science says. But it's this idea that people straight away expect Labour not to really say something. And that's a huge, huge problem in, in effect. I think it's part of Labour's. Potentially fatal problems for Keir Starmer that they can't cut through because no one really sees the point because all they do is just agree with the government. Now, over the coming weeks, I know they've started to blame Boris Johnson, Percy, for this delay. However, that's not really enough, is it? They're just saying it, they've been saying this for the past few months that Boris Johnson's incompetent, that Boris Johnson spends vast money up the wall for wallpaper, etc. It's not cutting through. It seems to be a real hackneyed attack strategy and hopefully over the coming weeks we'll see them kind of mix it up a bit because at the moment it's clearly not landing with the people and even within their own party.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's an important point to remember. There is now dissent within the Conservative Party and I think that's something that we're gonna see continue for for a sustained for a sustained period of time. The government needs to get this right now. That There's no other option. The government simply needs to get this right. If it doesn't, uh, I mean, I'd hope to see opposition from the opposition in the first place, but we really need to hear something ASAP. If, if if when it comes to the next month, nothing has changed. Speaking of things that have changed, however, Zach, on Sunday, GB News was launched. And we both, for, for academic reasons, I should stress, Decided to tune in at at various points over the past couple of days to to see what the offering was Um, before I throw this over to you, Zach, I should probably give some background information on on what GB News is. So GB News is a new channel here in the United Kingdom that is being backed by, funnily enough, lots of investors, none of whom are based in the United Kingdom, which is, is is somewhat of an interesting situation for a channel that proclaims to be proudly British. Now, the channel as Andrew Neil proclaimed in his opening monologue, is not going to be a typical news channel. It's going to kind of look at stories that matter to real British people, and it's going to kind of have a different different perspective on the stories that are kind of more familiar in the mainstream media. Now, the new channel, GB News, has attempted to brand itself in a way that it's like, yeah, we're we're different to the rest, but we're going to give you kind of different coverage and we're not going to be biased. It's very important that GB News has stated that kind of, yeah, we're it's a different perspective, but we're not going to give you kind of the bias, metropolitan, liberal, media elite rubbish that that has previously been served up. I think that's essentially the premise of this new channel. Zach can correct me if he feels I'm wrong. Um, But yeah, I think that's the decent background of what GB News was billed to be. I think in many respects it was kind of anticipated that it would be a slick kind of British version of Fox News with with different panelists and so forth. Now, we're a couple of days in to the lifetime Of GB news, I can say that I have watched some evening coverage and some breakfast coverage. I can't pretend to have been watching it 24 hours a day. Um, And obviously Zach can't either because, you know, football has been on. Uh, But but I feel pretty well placed to give some opinions on this new channel. So, Zach, over to you. What have you made of the first couple of days of GB news?
1: I think it's confirmed what I, I thought would happen before, that this wouldn't be a dial-changing, uh, massive watershed event in British politics. I think rather what it's transpiring, I'm not going to say transpired, because I think we're still very early on and there's so many caveats, etc. but what it's transpiring to be as is nothing more, and nothing really less, really, of, of a bit of a wing channel that it's, whinging about stories that are already out there on loop, on loop, on all different kind of shows, with no real play. What, what I mean, what's the play here? And I'm, I've been watching bits and pieces of every, every um, show that's been on offer just to see, OK, what's, what's the difference in The Breakfast Show to Andrew Neil's show? What's the difference between Simon McCoy and Alex Phillips' show and Gloria Di Pereira and Liam Halligan's show? And there's not really a difference. It's the same stories every segment, every single show. For GB News, who have purported themselves to be kind of this, in a way, anti-news in terms of anti kind of the same stories that are everywhere else, it kind of doesn't add up because all they've been really talking about is Freedom Day. Uh, A couple of stories on migrants and um that's re- again i can't really think of the other one that was thinking of it because it's just the same kind of thing and it's it's been rather f- of a flat launch for me it's not being a complete fate i think the and that i uh, yeah I've, I've remembered it now it's so thank you for that Um it's basically and, and taking the knee and the controversy surrounding that it's just been kind of on a loop repeat in in this kind of a Fox style gambit to hopefully one of the panellists or someone comes out with a very controversial monologue to get those th- hundreds of thousands of retweets to put GB News out there. But apart from that, I think it's not really been this seismic event that I think they had hoped it to be. And that people on this metropolitan elite bubble, whatever you want to call it, have feared it would be to kind of a score draw.
0: Okay, I have to be honest. Um, okay, and it, first of all, it's important to 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 get this out of the way. I am clearly not GB News's target audience. I am very much someone who is not going to support right wing parties or right wing politics anytime soon. That's not who I am, and I, I think by this point in 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 the show's lifetime, in in the in the history of midfield politics, that's probably pretty clear. So, no, I'm probably not the target audience of GB News. Likewise. I'm what 21 years old. Again, I don't think GB News is aimed at, at my demographic, to be completely honest. So bearing that in mind, I think we have to separate my probably natural dislike of the channel and its product with a more kind of abstracted view kind of from my perspective, as someone who's interested in the media and interest in British politics, because they are two very different things. So number one, of course, no, I was never going to be turned on by GB News. It wasn't going to be my new favourite channel, but there was a chance that I could find it interesting and find its delivery interesting and think, yeah, there are things that GB News are doing that, that perhaps could be used by other channels as well. So I'm not entirely closed minded on this, um, not in the slightest. So what I'll say now is that I have been quite um, taken aback by how shoddy the production quality is. So first of all, the camera quality on Andrew Neil's show in particular is not good. I don't know whether it's the lighting issue or whether it's the camera itself. Something is just not good. It's not anywhere near the same standard as other channels that you will see here in the United Kingdom. Second of all, The microphone quality is not good. There were several occasions on launch night in particular where either people's microphones weren't working. We had that with Andrew Neil when he was talking to someone in the studio. Um, So microphone quality, not great. The other thing to bear in mind in terms of production values is how bad the graphics are. It's just. uh, And I, I say this as somebody who's going to be studying journalism next year, but it looks like a really shoddly put together make-believe TV channel for a university media product project and uh, although that would be great for a, for a university student making it with no budget I expected more for, from GB News like for example this is a really minor detail and it's not something that will make or break a channel but the clock in, in the bottom right corner of the screen isn't set to the centre of the square that it's in so it's a bit wonky and it just looks a bit weird And it's stuff like that, that I thought GB news have been kind of practicing in house for, for like a month and a half at this point. I thought things like that would be really polished. So no, I'm not impressed by the delivery in terms of production quality. The other thing that I find really astounding is why is the set so dark? I know these sound like really nitpicky things, but I do think it's important in terms of, in terms of the quality of the channel as a whole. And I am just looking at this as a channel rather than it's ideological outpoint at this point. Like, Andrew Neil, someone someone tweeted, looked like he was recording his show from inside a PS4. It was, I I just can't fathom why a channel would want its backdrop to be so dark and then not have lots of lighting. It was it seems like an odd editorial choice. So first impressions weren't good, and then in terms of the content, so as Zach pointed out, there were three topics on Monday morning that were discussed, not only on the breakfast show but the show afterwards. Whose name I have forgotten, if I'm being completely honest. And
1: That's Dan Woodton, the the ex Sun columnist.
0: N- no, it wasn't that one. It was Bukowski and 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 something. You can tell how well Bobby, uh, Colin Brazier. Colin Brazier and Macowski, I, th- I, b- I believe her surname was. Um, I'm sure we can double check that in the background. But the point was, the three topics remained. It was it was illegal migration. Um, there was lots of talk about people crossing the channel in dinghies. There was whether or not Indian players should be taking the knee. And finally, there was also kind of Freedom Day, as it was dubbed on the channel content. Now, <laughs> for a channel that was promising to to take a new perspective at the news, there was nothing surprising about any of the things they said. And they didn't cover anything that was particularly new. So, for example, a tweet that at the time of recording has been published about an hour ago, GB News was asking its viewers for their opinion on whether Shamima Begum should be allowed to come back to the United Kingdom. Now as interesting as that might be to people with an interest in 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 that kind of topic that isn't news nothing has changed with regards to to, to Begum's status. Um and it strikes me as slightly odd that that's something that they're polling their their viewers on. Um all in all, I'm not impressed by the new channel. I think that's probably relatively clear. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to make of it, Zach. I th- I had quite high expectations. And to be quite honest, they haven't delivered. And I, I expected more from, from a channel that has Andrew Neil as, his, as its flagship host.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the content as well has been extremely poor so you had the launch night on sunday night which fatefully coincided with uh holland versus ukraine so i didn't really have time to obviously watch the live launch so i was watching the reaction to it and people were giving it very mixed reviews and it was the show afterwards dan dan wootton's show where he started with a very dangerous six minute monologue that made no sense then mid Way through the show had a body language segment on that was very unsurprisingly praising Kate Middleton but criticising Meghan Markle inexplicably. I don't know with all the body language signals and with a with a Boris Johnson David Hasselhoff moment, it it was kind of. I think the GB News itself at the moment has kind of lost itself in translation about what's what's it's supposed to be cutting through to these forgotten people what's it unmuffling because at the moment i'm i'm watching it and i'm thinking these stories aren't forgotten about they are reported in many capacities across the country in many ways and another thing as well which kind of grates with me i think you'll agree here is that they are packaging GB News? To this sort of unlocking all of these areas around the country with regional reporters. So I think it was in their morning segment they had someone from Hull telling us the the consensus around there to to the delay and someone in County Durham. Now I think it's all a bit of a bit of a sham to say that only GB News cares about local stories <coughs> because. Even by sheer numbers, so this kind of metropolitan elite—I'll say that in 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 inverted commas—BBC has around six thousand journalists on the payroll, all from all stretches around the country, whereas GB News has one hundred and twenty. So I think their actual branding itself is disingenuous as well. It just seems to me that they've already lost the point of why they're on air forty-eight hours in. Now maybe they can rescue it back. I don't know, but. For me, that I think they're trying to settle on the idea that it's going to annoy its detractors, so people like us are always going to criticise it. And to the people that have always wanted this station, it will keep them happy. But in in effect, I think that where it cancels out, its overall aim of turning the dial completely is lost. I think it will become nothing more and nothing less of just background noise, which I think is the worst case for them, not being as what the guardian was saying oh it will only last year but if anything the worst case would be it lasts you know in, in perpetuity but what for no one's really going to listen to it it's not going to be the place where political careers come to live and die it's just going to be a another channel on on your skybox
0: yeah i think the thing that that caught my attention with regards to gb news is how a lot of things were framed. So, to give you an example, when they were talking about whether or not England players should take the knee, so what they would often say, the presenters, and this was across various different different channel, uh, different different shows rather, they'd say something along the lines of, "Look, so England players at the moment are taking the knee before uh, national team matches at the European Championships. Manager Gareth Southgate." says that his players are taking the knee to show solidarity against racism. They'll say some words of those. Things. They'll say, they'll essentially repeat what Gareth Southgate has said. In the next breath, the presenter will say, however, sceptics say X and typically the sceptics say something along the lines of, yeah, but taking these inextricably linked to the Black Lives Matter organisation, which is, wants to defund the police, it wants to overthrow capitalism, it's Marxist, so on and so forth. To be fair, they haven't. I, I hadn't heard them use the word Marxist, but that was clearly the direction of travel that the channel was going in. So, the reason why this kind of points, or, or rather captures my attention, is because a lot of the time the presenters on GB News aren't saying the views that they necessarily are representing. So like, in in the Take of the Knee example, they'll frame the the popular view the, the popular view that's expressed by the mainstream media. England plays Tate and Knee because they're fighting against racial inequality. And then they'll introduce a counter argument, of which it's probably fair to assume that many of their viewers agree with, and many of the presenters agree with, insofar as saying, well look, but it's linked with Black Lives Matters or this protest has been going on for too long it doesn't do anything it just stokes division all these kind of things and the reason why this is interesting is because unlike fox news which is very forthright in saying atrocious kind of outrageous things to go viral gb news hasn't necessarily done much of that yet and i think that that was somewhat of a, of a surprise for me
1: absolutely i mean it's a a difficult channel I think to navigate around I think like where we're not desperate for this kind of channel I think we're probably the worst things to critique it because we can't really say here's the positive part of it I think I said this to someone else that it appears to me it's quite a clunky channel that the the people the teams they're putting together at the moment aren't really gelling which is obviously you can forgive that because we're only the second day in of course but Kind of the format of the shows is very samey that it's one story for their segment which unfortunately for them i think is about 3 hours each set, each kind of show or two hours. And it's the same story in this kind of for for a channel that brands itself that it's going to be in, a, in effect doing news in a different way by not reporting kind of the hotter issues that are in the other outlets it's kind of letting itself down that um and there was this one thing that actually annoyed me. It was in their breakfast show. So they got, uh, I think, it Rosie Wright from Neuro News, who is a studio presenter, and also an interviewer. But they've got her doing vox pops going across the country, while the actual thing of going across the country to see how people have reacted to the pandemic, etc., is a great idea. It's not new, and it's not really news. that I think BBC Breakfast are doing it. Good Morning Britain are doing it. Um, actually every kind of news station would be doing this kind of going across the country to see what happens so I think it's kind of lying to itself isn't it that it's apparently new and it's apparently news when really it's, it's, it's neither it's just becoming a bit of a whinge channel now maybe hotter events will happen and you'll see the the real GB news I don't know but It's quite slow getting off the ground. Now, the figures, I think, were quite good for them, but it was their launch night. Of course, it's going to be good figures because it's a new thing to watch. It will be interesting to see how it begins to compete with your BBC Breakfast and Good Morning Britain, the kind of monopoly between those two. Does the Great British Breakfast interrupt that monopoly? I don't know, and I don't suspect it will that it's these kind of things to see whether or not GB News will be this success. Will it be the, a competing force or will it be a, a merely a collaborative force in a load of news networks across the country?
0: Speaking about The Breakfast Show in particular, I honestly, I know it was the first day and perhaps I'm being harsh, but I, I sense the serious lack of chemistry between the people presenting Breakfast. Um, And that will concern me a little bit because you want to start on a strong footing and you want to kind of get on with it quickly. And you want to win audience. You want to win kind of your share of, of the breakfast audience early. And I don't think they would have done enough to do that. I think how are we meant to assess GB News is the question. Are we meant to treat them like a typical news channel like Sky, like BBC? Clearly the answer to that is no, because they're not doing news in a conventional way. They're not doing bulletins, for example, although they are doing the weather every so often, which seems a bit weird given the way the channel is going. Um, So, yeah, it's not conventional, so we shouldn't assess it in conventional ways. So I think the question should be, is GB News effectively setting the agenda? Is GB News going to, to drive the news cycle? Are other stations going to look at GB News and say, look, we need to be talking about this more? Or... Are they going to get scoops? Are they going to be able to have the inside line on the government? So on and so forth. All these questions. Is GB News going to revolutionise the way that we consume news media in the United Kingdom? As it stands, and of course, there's plenty of time for me to be proven wrong in the future and for me to change my mind about this in the future. As it stands, it doesn't look like that, that GB News will be transformational. The delivery is poor. <sighs> they're not covering anything particularly new and it's not been a great start i mean for example they had lord alan sugar as the flagship guest on dan wotton's first kind of primetime evening show on, on sunday evening and the presenter asked lord sugar kind of have you taken the knee to which alan sugar replied why the blood and i'm kind of quoting ish verbatim he said why the bloody hell would i do that I'm not a professional footballer. Where well, would I do it? Would I do it in Sainsbury's? And then he continued to criticise the question. He then went after the Sun newspaper, which Dan Wootton had kind of framed a question around by saying words along the lines of the only things you can trust about the Sun are the date on the front and the price. This, of course, to someone who was previously an editor of the Sun. Now, it hasn't been slick. It hasn't seemed to have an impact on the broader news environment so so far I don't think it's having the desired impact of course there's so much so much could happen between now and and tomorrow let alone next week the week after and years on at the moment I don't think GB news will be happy with with the launch even though of course that they, they they had a, a bigger share of the audience on on Sunday evening but I think that was a lot of people like like me and Zach for example who were tuning in to see what it was like not so much because they were excited for the new channel just to see what's this all about perhaps to talk about it on 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 the millions of podcasts that that litter the internet are well are included um
1: zach what you what are you thinking about this i i agree i think it's the curiosity that i think drives their numbers just because out out of interest okay oh they've got this guest, they've got that guest. let's have a look at see how they perform Even on Andrew Neil's first proper show last night, he had Steve Baker on there. It's not a massive headline. It's not a typical Neil grilling, is it? And it is, in a way, it's sad to see because I think, I've said this to you a lot, and many times, I think Andrew Neil's a lot better than this. But yes, I can see this is kind of a response to him being kind of canned by the BBC. But I think he sold himself way too short and I think even i think andrew new will be very upset of how it's gone especially on the launch night with everything not working properly now i know there are minor errors kind of you can't say that the whole station is a massive failure because of a microphone error but it's kind of it plays to itself isn't it that it's all of these kind of little issues that make make you think i could can't really take this news channel that seriously. If they can't get their microphones to work, if they have cheap banners at the um, bottom of the screen, if even their adverts aren't full screen, what is kind of the point of this channel? What's what is? Uh, I said it at the start of the segment. What's the play? And given that the apparent play was to completely change how British politics and British news is delivered, uh, consumed, and kind of. Produced and transacted, it's done neither of them. And kind of that play goes away and the end game kind of changes. It it all it's probably destined to become nothing more than the background news background noise kind of thing.
0: Indeed, and I think this is this is the final thing I have to say on this, but a number of advertisers have already withdrawn their adverts from the channel. So for example, Copperberg was tagged in a post by just a, a Twitter user with, with 2,800 followers called the de, called the deplorable Bristolian. So this isn't a Twitter account with, with massive clout. Um, tagged all of the different ad, people who had advertised with the new channel, the likes of AA, Amazon, Amex, uh, Beku, Boots, Cadbury. I'm not going to list them all, but like lots of really big businesses, Nivea, Microsoft, Octopus Energy, Lots and lots of different people like Open University. Now, Copperberg responded to the tweet saying, thanks for bringing this to our attention. We want to we want to make it clear to everyone that our ad ran on this channel without our knowledge or consent. Copperberg is a drink for everyone. And we have immediately suspended our ads from this channel pending further review of its content. Now, I don't know what they're going to review about the channel because it's going to be quite a climb down if Copperberg then go back on to to, to air the, their adverts on gb news but the fact that it has taken not a hell of a lot of pressure to to make businesses withdraw the adverts from the channel it doesn't fill me with confidence that this is going to work in a uk setting so for example fox news has no issue getting advertising revenue because it's such a big thing in the united states my concern for gb news and its success is that if it wants to be so different to what we've already gotten off there, it has to be quite right-wing. It has to be overtly be right-wing. And I'm not entirely sure that corporate Britain, in terms of the advertisers who are, who are essentially going to fund this channel, are going to be comfortable with that. And I think that could be why this all comes unstuck. And I've got to say, Andrew Neil is head and shoulders above the rest of, of much of the on-screen talent. And I think... Uh, the thing that I find really puzzling about GB news as a whole is they've spent so much money on, on the on-screen talent that simple things aren't going right. For example, every time they interview someone who's not in the studio, there's an echo because presumably they play through the speakers what the guest is saying to the studio. And then the, and then the microphones in the studio pick up that volume. Now, that's amateur. That's really basic. For example, Zach and I are recording this. On Skype, Zach isn't wearing headphones, so when I speak, Zach mutes his microphone. Like things like that are really basic, and I'm not pretending that Midfield Politics is produced at a high level because it isn't. It's just Zach and I talking about what we think about the world of politics. But if we can take those really simple measures with a budget of zero, I would expect better from from a channel that was aiming to shake up news media as we know it in the United Kingdom, Midfield Politics has much humbler aims, and I I think we do a fairly good job of achieving those aims. But no, I think in sum, this is my final word of, I think, of the show, and certainly on GB News, is I'm massively underwhelmed. I thought it was going to be a lot better than this, and I think they need to start improving quickly, otherwise the people who might have been tempted to watch are quickly going to go back to wherever they were previously getting their news. Zach, final thoughts from you?
1: Uh, I think just to round off it's just it's weird isn't it that it could be this time next week or this time in a month's time that they completely turn it around but I always think there's a famous quote about don't judge a news station by its first night judge it by its second day and so far their second day hasn't gone particularly well it's been a bit of an echo chamber it's been a bit of an echo in general that it's the same stories with slightly different voices packaged in very much the same way in each segment and if that's what gb news offers i actually think it will turn off a lot more people than it turns on
0: yeah i agree with that i think gb news have a lot to learn i mean they've got the on-screen talent i don't know who's working behind the scenes but you would imagine that with so many media professionals professionals that this is something that they could conceivably sort out as as they move onwards that however is the end of another episode until the 40th episode of the midfield politics podcast thank you so much for joining us for this episode if you'd like to interact with us or the show in in the future please do tweet in at midfield politic or at luke james underscore 32 or at ZG1999, and then I believe it is a double underscore, although I'll have to ask Slack because I'm not entirely sure.
1: It's just the one underscore on that one.
0: That, however, is the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, please do stay safe and keep voting.